do. Welcome to the 20-Minute Bible Study, a teaching podcast from Faith on Hill Church in Milwaukee, Oregon. My name's Adam, and while I put 20 minutes on the timer, why don't you open your Bibles to the book of 1 Samuel, chapter 6. Well, you might remember the last time we were together that the Ark of the Covenant, yes, the Ark of the Covenant, the same one that was in uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark, the Ark of the Covenant had been captured by the Philistines. The people of Israel had been defeated in battle, and they thought, well, if we can just get the Ark, that will be enough to get us the power that we need to have victory over our enemies. And that's how we treat God often. If we can just have this lucky talisman, I'll wear the cross around my neck, I'll pray a rosary, um, I'll make sure to do this thing or that thing, and then God will be happy with me and do what I want him to do. And it didn't work out. The ark was captured, the Israelites were horribly defeated in battle, and as the Philistines took the ark back to their temple of their false god Dagon, and, and then God began to put his hand against the Philistines because the people of Israel needed to repent. But that doesn't mean that what the Philistines were doing was right. And, and I think that's a picture, by the way, of the situation we're in. There is a lot of problems in the church. I was talking to one of my uh, ex-evangelical friends. Uh, if you don't know that term, that's somebody who grew up in the church but now has you know, deconstructed their faith and, and you know, says they're out. And I'm not being flippant towards them. I, I want to be really understanding and listening to people's stories. Uh, but, I, you know, I also think sometimes there's a little bit of revisionism and a little bit of gaslighting that happens. And so I, I think both are true. We can, be, we can be honestly, like, heartbroken when somebody has a story of abuse, of spiritual, emotional, e- even sometimes physical or sexual abuse that's happened inside the church. And at the same time, be honest when somebody is painting a picture of the church that's false. Now, what is true is that there is a lot of problems in the church. Racism, Christian nationalism, immorality, um, all kinds of stuff going on in all kinds of different places. But what's interesting to me is that the people who are shedding light on this, other Christians. Christians who have stood up and said no more. Churches where, uh, I, I mentioned this I think on the podcast a few episodes ago, but there is a church down in Houston where like 90% of their staff quit put their livelihoods in jeopardy because there was sin within the church that was not being addressed. And they said, we cannot support this. We can't lie and say that this is good. So they quit and left. Now, all that's true, but that doesn't mean just because there's problems within the church doesn't mean that what's going on in the world around us is any better. And that's one of the things I would say too, if, if you were hurt in the church, don't fool yourself into thinking that the world that, that rejects God is safer. Now, it might be that they're safer than a toxic church, but they are not safer in the big picture. So the Philistines, they, are, they just, they, they, they have enough. And so then they take the ark and they take it to another city and that city has all kinds of troubles. And so they take it to another city and that city's like, hey, we don't want any part of this. 
You guys figure out what to do with this thing, but we don't want any part of this. And that's where the story picks up. So chapter uh, 6, verse 1. When the ark of the Lord had been in Philistine territory seven months, so it took them seven months to figure out that this is bad for them, the Philistines called for their priests and their diviners to, and said, What shall we do with the ark of the Lord? Tell us how we should send it back to its place. And they answered, If you return the ark of the God of Israel, do not send it back to him without a gift. By all means, send a guilt offering to him, and then you will be healed and you will know why his hand has not been lifted from you. The Philistines asked, what guilt offering should we send to him? And they replied, five gold tumors, because one of the plagues that was affecting the Philistines in the cities where the ark was being held was there were tumors growing on them out of nowhere. And then it says five gold rats, according to the number of the Philistine rulers. Ooh, what does that say about their rulers? Five gold rats. Because the same plague has been struck both you and the rulers. Now, that's an interesting thing in their culture, right? It wasn't just a plague among the common people, but the rulers who were supposed to be like, you know, divinely protected by their gods, you know, they, they were also being affected just as much as the lowest person in their society. Uh, verse five, make models of the tumors and rats that are destroying the country. So apparently with the tumors, there's also an infestation of rats and give glory to Israel's God. Perhaps he will lift his hand from you and your God and your land. Why do you harden your heart as the Egyptians and Pharaoh did? When Israel's God dealt harshly with them, did they not send the Israelites out so that they could go on their way? So people remembered their history and they remembered the Exodus and they remembered how the Israelites had been in Egypt, how Egypt, the, the, the story of the plagues visited on Egypt had spread far and wide. And so they said, hey, remember what happened to those guys? We're starting to experience those plagues. We don't want it to get as bad as it did in Egypt. So let's just make things right as best we can. Verse 7, now get a new cart ready with two cows that have been calved and never been yoked. Hitch the cows to the cart, but take their calves away and pen them up. And take the cart, or take the ark of the Lord and put it on the cart. In a chest beside it, uh, put the gold objects you are sending back to him as a guilt offering. Send it on its way, but keep watching it. If it goes up to its own territory, toward Beth Shemesh, then the Lord, Yahweh, they're, they're using Yahweh, the name of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So that's specifying this is the God of the Bible versus the God of the Philistines, has brought this great disaster on us. But if it does not head back to the land, uh, then we will know that it was not his hand that struck us, but this happened to us by chance. What's going on there? So they say, hey, take two mama cows and hook them up. And we're going to have ones that have never been yoked. So they don't, they're not used to pulling loads like this. They haven't been trained to do it. And we're going to put their, their calves, their babies in a pen. The mama cow is likely to want to go back to her calf. And if they've never been yoked, they've never been trained in how to, how to do this sort of cart pulling, it's less likely that they're going to go anywhere, let alone go back to the land of Israel. So this is sort of a test that the priests and the diviners came up with. Hey, you'll really know if it's the God of the Israelites if they go and take the ark back to Israel. So that's the test. And they said, if, if nothing happens, then you'll know this was just some random chance and you don't have to worry. This isn't some kind of divine plague. Verse 10, so they did this and took two such cows and hitched them to the cart and penned up the calves. And they placed the ark of the Lord on the cart and along with it, a chest containing the gold rats and the models of the tumors. Then the cows went straight up towards Beth Shemesh, keeping on the road and lowing all the way. And they did not turn to the right or the left. 
The rulers of the Philistines followed them as far as the border of Beth Shemesh. So they were watching this whole thing. And, uh, you know, the cows just didn't wander off into some field. They stayed on the road. You have to be kind of trained to do that. You have to have somebody. This is all happening in a way that shouldn't be happening. Now, the people of Beth Shemesh were harvesting their wheat in the valley. And when they looked up, they saw the ark of, and they rejoiced at the sight. And the cart came to the field of Joshua of Beth Shemesh. And there it stopped alongside a large rock, and the people chopped up the wood of the cart and sacrificed the cows as burnt offerings to the Lord. And the Levites took the ark of the Lord together with the chest containing the gold options and placed them on the large rock. And on that day, the people of Beth Shemesh offered burnt offerings and made sacrifices to the Lord. The five rulers of the Philistines saw this and then returned the same way to Ekron. So imagine that you're just doing your job and it's been seven months since the most emblematic sign of your people and your religion and, and the God who you claim as your protector has been stolen. And then all of a sudden you're just out in the field doing your farming and it just appears on a cart that's not being driven by anyone else. But you can look over on the hill and you can see all the, the, the nobility and the leaders of the Philistines watching from the hill. So you know where it's come from. You, know, you get a, you know, a sense of what's happening. And you go, oh my goodness. And maybe rumors have started to come back to Israel about over the last seven months, the torment and the plagues and the judgment of God that has been on your enemies. And you go, oh, wow. So they get the ark off. They put it on this stone. They take the wood from the cart. They build a uh, thing. They sacrifice the animals. They're worshiping God. They're rejoicing. Verse 17, these same gold tumors the Philistines sent as a guilt offering to the Lord, one for Ashdod, Gaza, Ashkelon, Gath, and Ekron. And the number of gold rats was according to the number of the Philistine towns belonging to the five rulers, the fortified towns with their country villages. The large rock on which the Levites set the ark of the Lord is a witness to this day in the field of Joshua of Beth Shemesh. So the idea was, hey, if you're ever out traveling that way and you see this large rock out in the field of this guy, that's what that was. It's sort of a national monument. But God struck down some of the inhabitants of Beth Shemesh, putting 70 of them to the death, for they looked into the ark of the Lord. The people mourned because of the heavy blow the Lord had dealt them. The people of Beth Shemesh asked, who can stand in the presence of the Lord, this holy God, to whom will the ark go up from here? Then they sent messengers to the people of Kirath-Jerim, saying, The Philistines have returned the ark of the Lord. Come down and take it to your town. So the men of Kirath-Jerim came and took the ark of the Lord, and they brought it to Abinadab's house on the hill and concentrated Eleazar his son to guard the ark of the Lord. And the ark remained in Kirath-Jerim a long time, 20 years in all. Interesting. So what? let's break this down. First of all, there were 70 people that died because they looked into the ark. Now, if you've seen Raiders of the Lost Ark, you're like, oh my goodness, did their faces melt? Probably not. Um, but they were not, they, they were to, there was a holiness around these tabernacle objects that they were to be treated with holiness, that they were to be treated with respect and reverence and care. It's kind of a tricky thing for us to understand as New Testament Christians because we don't have the same situation. The church is not, the building of the church is not, I do believe there's a sense of like propriety. Um, there's, you know, I, a couple of years ago, I found some kids fooling around behind the church. And, I, and one of the things I said to them was, hey, 
like this is a holy place. And I don't believe that there's like some magic that happens here, you know, that, that a, a group of people meeting in a, a home for a Bible study isn't just as holy. But this is a place that's dedicated to the use of God. And so there's a sense of propriety. And they, so they were, the idea is that they were misusing, they were treating as common things that were not to be handled by them. They were only to be handled by the high priest. Where is the high priest? Eli is dead and his sons are dead. They don't bring it back to the tabernacle. It goes to the house of Abinadab and his son is given this task of guarding it. The system is broken. There's no priest. There's, there's no sense of, well, this needs to go back to the tabernacle. That's where they should have taken it and they didn't because things are so broken. And the people of, of Beth Shemesh, they worshiped God and they rejoiced, but yet they did not live in a way that they should and they suffered the consequences for it. So even people say, oh, I, I believe in God and I follow God. And it's like, but why is there so much pain in my life or why is there so much suffering? Well, because you're not doing what God has called you to do. Why is there so much frustration in my life? Because you haven't surrendered your life fully. You have faith in Jesus. You, you might be going to heaven, but your misery, your hell on earth is happening because of a lack of surrender. So the ark is sent up to uh, Kirath-Jerim because they haven't, um, they, they haven't put, the, you know, put it back where it's supposed to go, the tabernacle. It says the, the Philistines returned the ark of the Lord. They came up and they got it. And it remained there for 20 years. Now, 20 years later, uh, under King David, it's returned. It's brought back. They, they, they get things in the proper place. But it took them 20 years. And, and let me say, I, I said this earlier, that I think there is brokenness in the church. I believe that Jesus loves his church. I believe that Jesus is working through his church. I believe that for better or worse, God has called Christians to function together as the church, to be on God's mission. But there are places where, because of the brokenness, it's going to take us a while to get back to effectiveness. We keep pressing forward. Chapter 7, verse 3, Then all the people of Israel turned back to the Lord. So there was a national revival starting to happen. Things weren't perfect. They still had things to figure out. It's 20 years before they get the ark back to the right place. It's, you know, there's all kinds of issues, but they begin to turn back to the Lord. So Samuel said to the Israelites, if you are returning to the Lord with all your hearts, then rid yourself of the foreign gods and the Ashtaroths and commit yourself to the Lord and serve him only, only. And he will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. So the Israelites put away their Baals and Ashtaroth and served the Lord only. So there's this beginning to return back to God. There's no leader. There's no judge. There's no priest. So Samuel kind of takes on all three. He is, he is standing in the gap. He's the last of the Old Testament judges. He's the first of what we would think of as the Old Testament prophets. Although there had been prophets before, but this is in what we think of as the prophets. Samuel begins to be the first of that. He's the last of the judges. He takes on this priestly duty because right now there's no one else to do it. And he stands with the people and he preaches this message from God. If you are really turning back from God, then live like it. Get rid of the Ashtarosh, sexual immorality. Get rid of the Baals violence. Get rid of these idols. 
repent and turn to God and serve him only. And, and if we want to see revival in America, the church has to repent. What? what, what? Where have we had idols? Oh, we have idols. There's a reason why churches talk about sacred cows. Oh, you can't touch the sacred cow in that church. Why not? Because we make a style or a service or a pew or not a pew or whatever. We make these things so sacred that they cannot be changed or touched. I was talking to someone recently who said that their church uh, said, we, we want to do this thing. So they put a team together to figure out how do we accomplish this thing that we want. And, and the team came back to the church's leadership and said, this is our plan for accomplishing the thing that we want to do, the, thing, the ministry that we feel God's calling us to do. But we're going to be honest. This other ministry that has not been, it's not good or it's not wrong or bad or anything, but this other ministry, we can't have both at the same time. And this other ministry, who we think it had a great history, it had a great effectiveness, but it hasn't been effective in, in many years. We think that it has to go away so that the resources and attention of the church can be focused on this new ministry we think God's calling us to. And there were people in the church who had such, I would call it idolizing, of this, of this program. They said, we will not ever, 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 ever get rid of it. Do you agree that God's calling us to do this other thing? Yeah, we think that's nice. But this program is keeping us from getting there. That's idolatry. That's idolatry. Immorality is prevalent in the church. You know, uh, somebody asked me why I don't speak more on uh, LGBTQ plus stuff. And, and we hold to a, a biblical sexual ethic. We believe that God created sex. It's not gross. We make it gross as people, but it's not gross. We believe that it's not God the way that other people seem to worship sex. We believe that it's a gift from God and that God designed it to be between a husband and a wife in the context of marriage. That's, that's what we believe about human sexuality. Heterosexual, bisexual, homosexual, that's what we believe the Bible teaches, whatever, wherever you're at on, on that whole spectrum. My stance on on those issues though is I want to let my brothers and sisters who have same-sex attraction or other parts of the LGBTQ spectrum, but they say following Jesus is far better and far more important than whom I'm attracted to. And they walk in holiness. And for some it's, it's different paths. Uh, you know, I, I have friends who, um, who are now in, in marriages, heterosexual marriages. I have friends who walk in lifelong celibacy. I'll let them speak to that because there's so much heterosexual brokenness in the church. And I'm a heterosexual, so I'm, I'll speak to that. The, the amount of our own brokenness within the church that we just kind of allow to carry on and keep going and what's the big deal? How can we tell the world around us to turn from their sins if we as the church aren't turning from the, our own sins, our own violence? Oh, I don't violence, really? How many churches just have, have broken, have splintered? There, there's a church locally where they're 50-50 divided over politics and masks and everything else, and they're just doing violence to each other. The pastor quit. He said, I have to pick a side, and I don't want to pick a side. I love both sides. So he quit. 
And now they're just kind of waiting each other out. We need to repent. Collectively. Verse 5. Then Samuel said, Assemble all Israel at Mizpah, and I will intercede with the Lord for you. And when they assembled at Mizpah, remember, um, we talked about this earlier, but in the time of the judges, there was no national identity for Israel. This is a big moment. This is the moment where Israel starts to come together collectively as the people of God, instead of just the old people and the young people of the church, or instead of just... uh, younger churches and older churches, or there's a Baptist church over there and a Pentecostal church over there, that the the people of God came together collectively. This is the first time here at Mizpah that that happens. And Samuel says, I will intercede in the Lord for you. And when they had assembled, they drew water and poured it out before the Lord. And on that day they fasted and there they confessed. And they said, we have sinned against Yahweh. And now Samuel serving as the leader of Israel at Mizpah. So this is an act of repentance, a confession of submission before the Lord. And when the Philistines heard that Israel had assembled at Mizpah, see, this is the first time. The, the Philistines just said, hey, uh, our bad. We, we, took your, uh, we took your ark. Sorry. Um, so they sent it back with these guilt offerings. But now God's people are collectively coming together for the first time in centuries, for the first time in a long time. And they are freaked out about it. So when they heard about this, they came up to attack them. Don't think that God's work, a good work, a work of repentance, a good, a work of forgiveness, a work of unity, won't be met with opposition. And we'll see what that opposition is next week as I can see we've gone over our time. I want to thank you again for joining us for another episode of the 20-Minute Bible Study. New episodes are released on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Video versions available on our Facebook page. You can follow us at Faith on Hill on Facebook and Instagram. My name's Adam. I'm the pastor here at Faith on Hill. Love to see you on a Sunday morning at 1030 a.m. We have small groups that meet throughout the week, and you can email smallgroups at faithonhill.com for more information. We'll see you next time for another episode of the 20-Minute Bible Study.